Welcome back to a special edition of The Foreign Desk. I'm Lisa Deftari. Tonight, missiles continue to rain down on Israel. More than 3,000 Hamas missiles have been launched into Israel in the past week. And as Israel continues to struggle looking for support and friends among nations and the media, it finds a friends in the most unlikely of places, Iranians, both inside and outside the country, coming out to show solidarity with the state of Israel. To discuss, we are joined by the Honorable Bijan Kian, a twice-confirmed advisor to the White House under three consecutive administrations, reporting directly to Presidents Bush and Obama, serving as the deputy lead on President Trump's landing team for the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, also an Ellis Island Medal of Honor recipient, globally recognized expert on the economy and national security, and he is currently the president of the Institute for Voices of Liberty. Uh, we are also joined by Adam Lovinger, who is currently the VP for Strategic Affairs at the Gold Institute for International Strategy. He's also an adjunct professor at Georgetown University School of Foreign Service. He served as Senior Director for Strategic Assessments at the NSC under President Trump. And before that, strategist at the Office of Net Assessment at the Pentagon. And he also serves on the Institute of Voices of Liberty's Board of Advisors. I welcome you both to the program. Thank you, Lisa. Glad to be with you. Uh, so much, so much to unpack tonight, and we only have um, an hour to do so. But um, I want to start with some of the current events coming out of the region tonight. Uh, obviously, um, you know, we're watching this uh, unfold as we do, and it seems like every couple of years and sometimes couple of months, uh, you know, this uh as the escalations between Hamas, or I should say the Palestinians, whether they're under Hamas or uh, Palestinian Authority or the Palestinian uh, Islamic Jihad, um, find some way to launch a terror attack against Israel. And uh, we're always fighting for this, um, you know, this the support or, you know, the, the media to understand the, the reality that's on the ground. Um, Bijan, I'm going to start with you. You served under three administrations. And I know you've seen many of these escalations between the Palestinians and, and the Israelis come up. How would you assess the current uh, situation in terms of what you've seen? Well, this one is a little different, a little different. You mentioned that Hamas missiles uh, are raining on the people of Israel and killing innocent people. These missiles come from the Islamic Republic in Iran, uh, Lisa. And of course, this is not the first time but they've been supplying terrorist groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad with uh, ammunition and serious, serious weaponry uh, to kill people. Uh, the other characteristic that makes this particular uh, recent uh, uh, conflict uh, a bit different is that we all know that the, uh, you know, a bunch of people in shower shoes and bathrobes are not going to be able to match the firepower of Israeli Defense Forces, that's for sure. And uh, what they're doing is they're mounting a media campaign. They're trying to capture the hearts and and minds of the uh, unaware. And uh, of course, uh, you know, what the third factor that makes this a little different is that we see mainstream media, major media, is actually hiding the truth and reporting half the truth. An uh, example of that, the office of Hamas in the same building is the major uh, reporting agencies. So why are they hiding that? Uh, well, uh, it's a good question to ask. But this is a media campaign. And sadly, 
because it's such a charade, because it's such a, uh, you know, theater, made up theater, you see people dancing in the streets and singing songs and arousing uh, emotions of the unaware in favor of only one side of the story. Half the truth is being broadcasted. And I want to thank you for taking the initiative to uh, speak about the truth, which is uh, what we're talking about uh, tonight. Uh, this is, uh, this is uh, you know, a tragedy uh, that is being fueled by one entity, and that is the Islamic Republic, I call it, in Iran, because it's so important, so important to differentiate between Iran and the Islamic Republic in Iran. Iran is thousands of years old, uh, a, a civilization that's respected people that have accomplished so much throughout the history. An Islamic Republic in Iran is a 42-year-old juvenile mm -hmm. delinquent, a criminal. Has to be differentiated between the two, Lisa. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Adam, you know, you, you've also been, you know, in Washington for, for quite a while and, and have seen uh, different administrations come in and out. And obviously, if we juxtapose the current administration with the, the prior one, President Trump had a, a beautiful relationship with Israel, probably the closest we've ever seen, right? Moving of the embassy and doubling down on the Golan Heights and then, you know, the Abraham Accords, right? Bringing such prosperity to the peace-loving people of the Middle East and, and really bringing a significant change that will last for, for, for decades, for generations. Um, but in terms of the current administration, I mean, you know, we know that they did an about face on so many of the foreign policy moves of the prior administration. But with regards to Israel, I mean, if we take President Obama as the exception, perhaps, you know, we've always seen bipartisan support. They're our ally. It's, it's, it's a, a no brainer, right? We need them as the one democracy in the region to be, you know, our, you know, we need them as much as they need us, right? And people will always say, we give them aid. Well, we also give aid to the Palestinians and to Pakistan, but we don't get anything in return, right? How, what are, I should say, what are the long-term implications of, you know, Biden waiting three weeks to give Bibi a call when he first came into office and now being so cool on Israel with regards to what's currently happening? Well, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Um, what, one thing that is, uh, you know, quite extraordinary is that we, we've learned for, you know, essentially since the 90s that uh, we only really get progress in the Middle East and the peace process with, with the, uh, the Palestinians, with the, um, with, with the Arab, other Arab countries, and, and with Iran, when there is no daylight between the United States and Israel. When there, what I mean by that is that when there is a sense, whether it's in Tehran or, or elsewhere, that Israel and the United States are not united, this sends the message that there is weakness, that there's not a united front, and weakness is provocative. We know this from, from, from history in the region. So what, uh, you know, to give credit to, to, uh, to uh, Bill, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton knew this and so made it very clear to, uh, to the Israelis that there would be no daylight between the two of the countries. And therefore we got the Oslo Accords and all the progress on that. Uh, this is a lesson that uh, was you know, taken up by the Bush administration. And what happened then in the Obama administration, which is now being repeated in the Biden administration, is a sense that if we can just provide some daylight, we'll be seen as a more even-handed arbiter in the region. 
and that this will somehow allow the United States to achieve its objective. What we're seeing is that when there is daylight, what you get is chaos and violence because the forces in the region, they, they sense that there's weakness, they sense there's not a united front, and that is provocative. So uh, really, truly, uh, Biden is, is repeating the mistakes of the Obama administration without having learned that. And uh, even after the Trump administration, which showed how much progress can be made with the Abraham Accords and other things, when Israel, the United States are united as two liberal democracies together fighting tyranny. This, uh, this, and, and I want to just follow up with you on on, on that because I, I couldn't agree more on this the the, the daylight analogy. Uh, this the positioning of 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 themselves vis-a-vis -vis Israel. Do you think it's more ideological or naivete? That, that's a that's a great question, Lisa. I I, I don't really know. Uh, it, in some respects, it, it seems like it's ideological because the lessons of history are so clear. It's so, the, the track record is so clear that when there's daylight, you have tyranny, you have terrorism, you have problems. When there's no daylight, you get great, uh, great uh, leaps and bounds in the direction mm -hmm. of peace. So it, it could be uh, just a complete ignorance of history. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a tremendous disservice um, to uh, to the to the people on the ground, I mean, it's 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 heartbreaking to see how the Palestinians are turned into cannon fodder uh, for this, and the of course the Iranian people uh, are being uh, uh, you know thrown to the wolves by empowering the regime by starting up the JCPOA again, mm -hmm. and so for a administration that is focused and, and Biden uh, publicly stated before two houses of Congress several months ago that he would be focused on promoting liberal democracy and not authoritarianism. Uh, it's just doing the opposite. So it's very confusing for those in the region and as well for Americans as to what is truly the motivation. It's, these are mixed signals and this sort of uncertainty uh, when it comes to these, these basic intentions uh, never, never ends well. You know what the what the irony is is how you know you, you look at history as you said, and you know these Arab nations have have learned to look at history and say, look, it's not getting us anywhere. So let's put our ideological differences aside and focus on logic. And if we sign on to the Abraham Accords and if we make peace with Israel and we move forward with our interests only, meaning economic prosperity and tourism and water irrigation secrets and apps and technology will be better off. So they were able to put their differences aside. And this week we saw more support for Israel by a UAE minister on social media what went viral than we are getting from our own White House. And, um, you know, speaking of which, you know, that's why I brought you two on tonight to talk about the irony of having, you know, the Iranian people from inside Iran tell the world that we are actually on the side of the Israelis, not the Palestinians, not what you may think. You know, in the beginning of the Iranian revolution, it was death to Israel, death to America. But now there's a different slogan on the streets of Tehran, and I want you to take a listen. So this is this actually is from a protest of a couple of years ago um, in Tehran, and the the protesters are chanting "Death to Palestine." 
which is very, very interesting because, you know, the regime would like us to think that, you know, um, that that the Iranian people are, you know, brother, they have this brotherhood with the, the Palestinian people, but it's just the opposite. And um, the two of you are on, and myself, I, I should be very transparent about this. So uh, the two of you are on the advisory board. Um, Bijan Kian is the president of a group called the Institute for the Voices of Liberty. It's a group, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that is dedicated to echoing the voices and the sentiments of the Iranian people inside Iran uh, to give them a platform. And um, I am also a, a member of this board, even though I'm a, a journalist, I, I never sign on to any organizations or boards, but this is a no brainer for people like myself and the two of you um, to really just continue doing the work that I do as a journalist or the two of you as uh, experts and as, as statesmen um, to give them a platform, to give them a chance at getting their voices heard. And with that, um, today, uh, the, the uh, Institute for Voices of Liberty released a, a letter that's going to be signed by hundreds. Uh, I said we, we quoted 200, but I think that's on the lower side. We're going to get many more hundred um, prominent Iranians to sign a letter in support and in solidarity um, of the people of Israel. And I just want to read just a few uh, lines because I think this is such a, a tremendous message um, that you're you're sending the, the uh, people inside of um, Israel from the people of Iran. Um, but as I pull that up, I want to go to you first, uh, Bijan. What was the um, what was the idea behind issuing such a letter? Where did it start from, and uh, what prompted you to put this out? Well, that's a very good question, Lisa. First, I want to thank you, and I want to thank Adam. Uh, for being the voice, uh, being the reflectors of the voices of freedom-seeking people of Iran. I also want to thank members of the board of directors and all of the trustees of the uh, Institute for Voices of Liberty, uh, an organization that I'm honored to serve uh, currently as, as president. Uh, and I also uh, want to answer your question about the motivation behind this uh, statement. Uh, you know, I'm really glad that you showed a clip of Iranians shouting death to Palestine. Now, I'm not one who would go around and call for death for anyone, but uh, I'm just repeating what I heard. And I'm uh, thanking you for that, because if you hadn't done that, someone watching this program would say, oh, that Vijayan Kian, you know, he loves Israel and he's a, he's a Zionist. And he's, of course, he comes out and in support of Israel. but regardless of my personal feelings, I have to, to say this clearly. The Institute is just following its mission and its charter. The Institute came out and said, we reflect the voices of freedom-seeking people of Iran. And we defined it. We didn't define it. Freedom-seeking people of Iran defined it for us. They said, we reject entirety of the Islamic Republic in Iran and that's what the Institute stands on. And that's what we've all signed, uh, signed up to support and reflect. Now, going to the question, what prompted us to do this? Again, uh, you hadn't, if you hadn't uh, broadcasted that, that clip, I would have had to explain this a lot. You heard it. We are reflecting those voices. They reached out to us and they said, hey, didn't you say that you're going to reflect our voices? Get out there and say, look, we are suffering here for many reasons, but here are a couple. 
Number one, we, the Iranians, would not want to be looked at as responsible for this violence. We are not to be looked at as people who finance terror. It is our government. It's the Islamic Republic in Iran that's doing this. But separate our account from them. That's message one. The other message they're asking us to uh, convey and relay to whoever is willing to listen to the truth, all truth, not half-truths, is that, look, we hear that uh, uh, a missile can pay for 5,000 vaccines. We want the world to know that our government, whose main responsibility is to protect our rights, to protect our life, to provide for our security, is spending the equivalent of 5,000 vaccines on missiles to go kill people instead of saving our lives. That's the height, the zenith of incompetence. And they want the world to know how incompetent, how corrupt, how violent, what a terrorist organization is called the Islamic Republic in Iran. They're a bunch of terrorists. Their military is nothing but terrorists in uniform. That's all. And that's what the people of Iran wanted us to come out and clearly say it without being worried about, oh, you know, we're going to be called Zionist, this, that, the other. Uh, we're not afraid. We're not afraid. And we, we tell the truth and the whole truth as we see it. And they asked us to do it, Lisa. We're doing it on the uh, request of Iranian people. Our personal opinions aside, the board of directors, trustees, advisors are asked to reflect this truth and nothing but the truth. That's the motivation behind it. I was asked on, on Twitter by many people if you could mention uh, some of the more prominent signatories to this letter, Mr. Kian. Well, you know, uh, the, the, the prominent signatories to this letter are sitting right here. You can <laughs> look at them. So uh, I'm not calling myself prominent, but you and Adam certainly are very prominent in the community. And there are individuals who each hold their own in their experience. We have amongst us signatories, those who approved this letter, are individuals who have served the United States government in the highest positions. And currently, uh, some of them are members of the board and some of them are the trustees. And the community is very proud, very grateful to all of you, all of you prominent individuals, not me. I exclude myself. I'm very humbled to be in the service of very prominent people at uh, the Institute for Voices of Liberty. But the numbers are too many. Actually, if you want to uh, find more evidence of this support, you have to go no further than Los Angeles, California, where a uh, political party, actually, the, uh, the uh, Constitutional Party of Iran, CPI, has issued a letter of support uh, in support of the State of Israel and in opposition to the violence that's taking place specifically being fueled by the Islamic Republic in Iran. So we're not alone. And the credit, uh, the credit should go to every single person who reached out to us, various people from inside Iran who said, hey, we can't say these things uh, as publicly, although a lot of them are so courageous mm -hmm. and so brave, they don't care. They tweet with their real names. And, you know, Adam said it back in 2016 so beautifully. He said, you know, there is, there is fear, there is honor, and there is interest. 
And right now, the people of Iran will do what it takes to change the balance so that their government is more afraid of them than they are afraid of their government. And their honor is going to go up. And of course, shame will be the only thing attached mm -hmm. to the Islamic Republic in Iran. So uh, th this is not a publicity show. This is real. People of Iran, you just heard them. You certainly heard more than 200 people shouting death to Palestine. Again, I'm not repeating that. I'm not saying death to Palestine, but they were saying it. You could see the sentiment. You could see why. And I gave you just two reasons why, two real reasons. They say, hey, that's our money. You buy missiles to go kill people, buy vaccines to save our lives. That's right. the message. Right, absolutely. Um, I want to read some of this, uh, some excerpts of the letter so people get a better idea of what, what this entails. Um, we wrote about it today um, as an exclusive at foreigndesknews.com, so those who are interested can read further. Uh, the letter starts, We are a part of a community of millions of Iranian expatriates driven from our homes and our homeland to escape the tyranny of the Islamic Republic in Iran. We deeply appreciate the blessings of freedom extended to us by the Western societies that gave us refuge. And it goes on and on to say, uh, we condemn the acts of terror committed by Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Lebanese Hezbollah, and other proxies of terror supported and sub subsidized by the Islamic Republic. We mourn the deaths of innocent Israelis and Palestinians and deplore the Iranian regime's ex exploitation of Palestinians, Lebanese, and Houthis. And the line that I found uh, most interesting was, we stand in solidarity with the people of Israel and yearn for the day when a free Iran can once again renew the historic ties of friendship that have existed between Iran and Israel. Mr. Kian, I just want to continue with you and then move on to Adam for um, more uh, policy-based stuff. But a lot of people don't recognize or realize that there is a history, a deep history between Israel and Iran. Can you touch upon that a bit? And um, what would that look like going forward if they were to reunite again? Uh, you know, I will share personal stories with you. There was a day in Iran that if someone was afflicted with an incurable disease, something that was really, you know, stage four cancer and, and horrible, horrible diseases, Israel was a hope of last resort. People would say, send them to Israel. And, uh, and the relationship had elements of respect for competence. It had elements of love of, of uh, you know, we have a history. We have a history. There, there, was, a, there was a Jewish queen uh, whose uh, who's resting, eternal resting places in Hamadan is in, in Iran. The history of, uh, of the friendship between the Iranians and uh, people of Israel goes back a very, very long time into the history, thousands of years. And of course, uh, you know, uh, when people ask uh, a question about, you know, uh, why are you supporting, why are you supporting the state of Israel? And, uh, you know, you're, you're American. What, what's your business to support the state of Israel? What I say to them is, yes, my blood is Iranian. I was born in Iran. That's the same land where Cyrus the Great came from. And Cyrus the Great was the first head of the state in the history of mankind to support Israel and to support Zionism. He took money out of the treasury of, uh, of Persia at the time and helped to uh, build a temple. Uh, I'm not saying that. It's being mentioned in the holiest uh, 
books, uh, uh, I'm told, 23 times. So, uh, you know, that history goes back very strong. Today, the Iranian youth are really yearning for a day where they could do things together, the scientists doing joint projects together. You mentioned the, uh, the water issue. Uh, well, uh, Iran is drying up thanks to the incompetence of the managers of Islamic Republic who have killed water resources. Iran is not short of water resources. It's just the way it's been managed, mismanaged. And, you know, Israeli youth and Iranian youth can get together to address these in many, many areas, even short term. They can do things to to help out in agriculture and food. Well, Mr. Kian, I have a industry. You 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 actually sparked a question that I think a lot of people may have. What why why did the Jews in Israel become the easy target for the Islamic Republic from day one when they came into power? Why was how did the Jews become the boogeyman? You know so quickly, and how did it you know sustain this forty two year period? Yeah, you know I have my own personal opinion. And it may or may not be a statement of fact, but I'll share my opinion with you. Uh, to start with, uh, you know, this this uh, Islamic Republic in Iran is uh, is the first government in the world who came to power through terror, actually. The first government in the history that took Americans hostage and then negotiated their release for a non-intervention sort of agreement uh, uh, which was signed the day before President Reagan took office, actually. So extortion, extortion, legal extortion. They signed an agreement in exchange for taking hostages. They were born. This government was born in terror, and it has continued with terror. So why is it such a surprise for the government of Islamic Republic to uh, align its goals and its strategies based on terror and attach itself. You know, a, a commander of the Revolutionary Guard raised his hand in an interview, and it wasn't photoshopped or anything, raised his hand and said, this hand created Hezbollah. So why is it a surprise that a terrorist government would align itself with the goals and affiliate itself with terrorist uh, entities? There's another reason. You know, they're cowards. They're cowards. They have not won a war ever. And they hide behind proxies. So they create Hezbollah to create a proxy to be able. But why do they choose these terror groups? Because they use them. They use them. They are the insurance mechanism for the Islamic Republic. When things get really serious between the people of Iran and the government of Islamic Republic, you see all these people with covered faces all of a sudden arrive and they beat up the Iranians and they run over them with cars and they kill them. Uh, are they Lebanese or are they Iranians? Are they Palestinians uh, or are they Iranians? I don't know. Their faces are covered. But why are their faces covered? Because they don't want to show. Some people have said that they speak Arabic. You know, there's no secret that Hashtag Shabi from Iraq was in Iran. So it's a two-way relationship. One, they have no other friends. They have to affiliate with the terrorists. And of course, how do they do that? By attacking Israel. But the question to ask is, what have the Jews done to the Iranians? What have they done? What is it that make the government of Islamic Republic, as idiotic as they are, 
to expect Iranians to believe the lies and the deceit that Jews have done something bad to them and they should they should shout debt to Israel. For what? What did they do exactly to uh, do that? And coming to Palestinians, Palestinians are Sunnis. They're Sunni Muslims. If they care so much about the Sunni Muslims in, in Israel, why don't they care about their Sunni Iranians in Iran, in southeast Iran, they don't have even ID cards. They don't have food. They don't have schools. You worry about the Palestinians? Shame on you, Islamic Republic. I would look, if they're looking and listening, shame on you for killing your people and giving money to kill other people. Palestinians and Israeli children, a bullet does not have an address on it. It kills both. And it doesn't matter. And it's a tragedy. When a Palestinian child dies, an innocent, unarmed person who is not a combatant in this in this conflict dies, the Islamic Republic should be responsible for it, should be held responsible for it. This is a crime of scale that I cannot even begin to explain. So I hope I've answered that question for you, Lisa. Yes, absolutely. And Adam, I want to move over to you know, some of the more macro questions here. Um, obviously, as Bijan outlined, it's there's no secret anymore. There's no, you know, we're, we're, it's all transparent. It's all out there. I mean, you know, we know that the the weapons are coming from from the Islamic Republic. We know that they're funding Hamas, that they're funding the Houthis, that they're funding Hezbollah, that they're in Iraq, that they're in Syria, that they're in Lebanon. And yet, you know, our, you know, we have lawmakers on both sides of the political aisle warning uh, the president and uh, Blinken from going forward with the the deal uh, in Vienna. Uh, and yet on Friday, we covered this at the Foreign Desk, on Friday, Antony Blinken actually said, I do not know, I cannot confirm yes or no if there's a connection between Hamas and the Islamic Republic. We actually have proof of this, right? The missiles literally can say from Tehran with love and you know they still would not believe or want to acknowledge this connection. I mean, how does how how does this work? I mean, who who advises the president on these matters? Why aren't they listening? You have 80 million people, the majority of whom are saying death to Palestine. They're saying we don't want this. They're saying this is not our fight to fight. There's another slogan that was very popular on the streets of of Iran that was na Gaza na Lebanon Jonam Iran, which translates into not Gaza, not Lebanon. I live only for Iran. Um, also showing that pivot in the Iranian people. We don't, this is not our fight to fight. We want to stay Iranian. We are Iranian and our, our, our funds should be spent on us. Why aren't they listening? Yeah, Lisa, it's a good question. And uh, having lived in Washington for several decades now, I am uh, saddened to say that, that my assessment uh, really boils down to Tip O'Neill's assessment, which is that all politics are local. And what I mean by that is that Washington politics have become so divisive. Uh, there's been such this, there, there's this sort of new sport that a new administration comes in, wants to sort of wipe clean all the successes of the prior administration and put their own stamp on, on their policy, on foreign policy. And I am just you know, stunned, the deafening silence. The American people rejoice in the Abraham Accords. It is a tremendous strategic victory uh, that cannot be reversed. Once you've crossed that point, there is no going back. But for some reason, the current administration is 
trying as hard as to reverse those, those great successes that the American people recognize. And uh, it's really uh, you know, quite callous because instead of building upon that success, they're trying to tear it down. And we're seeing now, Lisa, the fruits of that, which is that innocence, uh, Israelis, Palestinian civilians, and the Iranian people themselves are being butchered uh, because of this. And so, you know, perhaps in Washington, D.C., it's a game. It's the game of politics. But this has real world consequences. And it is a sign to me that there's just a lack of seriousness. There's a lack of actually caring about these people and caring about their future and just wanting to, uh, you know, create a foreign policy legacy. It's a uh, it's it's a uh, it's very callous. It's very selfish, and it's destructive not only for uh, the people in the region but for the American people as well. Um, what what can be done in terms of you know? Let's go back to Ival and Adam. Um, I know your expertise is obviously strategy, uh, looking at the bigger picture moving forward. Um, what? What can be done for the Iranian people that, you know, if there is a deal, there isn't a deal, there are sanctions, there's no sanctions. What can be done for the future of the Iranian people? Yeah, so one of the reasons I, I'm so attracted to Eyeball is that it's an organization that tries to, that's really breaking the mold, but in a very obvious way. We want to give the people of Iran a voice. The people of Iran, for far too long, I, I was in the Pentagon, Lisa, in 2009, when the Green Revolution uh, unfolded. And it was very clear to me that the uh, Islamic, uh, Islamic uh, uh, you know, regime in, in, in Tehran was, was really in, in, in pretty bad shape. Uh, but instead of tipping it over the edge, instead of embracing the people who wanted their freedom, who were chanting in the streets, you know, Obama, Obama, where are you? America, where are you? wanting their freedom, taking tremendous risks and being taken out uh, by you know, snipers on apartment blocks in Tehran uh, for their courage and protesting, instead of lifting up the people and giving them what they, what they wanted and you know, riding that momentum to you know, essentially bring Iran back to its, its, its destiny, which is a tolerant, peace-loving country that is, uh, you know, it's a tremendous civilization that has so much to contribute to the world. Uh, and instead of bringing it on that course, for this reason that is, is you know, it's quite troubling, the, the Obama administration normalized, essentially took the regime, you know, back into the, the family of nations and normalized it, dignified it. And this is just, uh, you know, it's, it's something that the, the American people, uh, you know, this this is, is so alien to us. We don't we don't do this. Um, you know, Ronald Reagan, who stood before the Berlin Wall and and you know, looked at, at Gorbachev and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You know, this is what the American people stand for. It's not normalizing authoritarian regimes when they're on their, you know, on, on their heels. Right. You know what Lisa, I wanna I wanna add something to that to that. I think it's sure. important what Adam mentioned that I believe this administration is more interested in winning the next election. And they believe that the Americans are attracted or they're part of America that voted for the current uh, ruling party in the White House is going to be very attracted to the idea of, uh, you know, them wiping out everything that the uh, 
45th president of the United States, Donald Trump did, and uh, they think, okay, America is going to be embracing us because of that. Where they go wrong, and I, I am not happy saying this, but I predict America is going to wake up and say, so this is what you meant? This is what you meant by creating a world that is more chaotic, a world that our friends feel like they're our enemies and our enemies get love from us as if they're friends? Is this the world you meant to create? Is this the sophistication in, in what somebody calls responsible statecraft to treat your friends like your enemies and your enemies like your friends? And they're going to say, no, I'm sorry. Uh, by the way, I did not elect a member of the Congress of the United States to go and praise, instead of protecting me, praise the people who want to kill me. How do you how do you explain that? But I wonder. And, you know, I, yeah, you're elected to represent my interest, and yet mm -hmm. you're representing the interest of people who want to kill me. That doesn't make sense. I predict people are going to change, and this administration, including, by the way, Secretary Blinken, who could not, somebody told me he could not remember the title of Abraham Accord. So what's that? That 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 agreement? Something was signed. Uh, I'm not sure if that's accurate or not, but if it is accurate, then it is it is too transparent. A, a professional, and I believe Secretary Blinken is, uh, will not do that. It looks like, yeah, you're trying to wipe out the significance of something that is going to be there in the history is the greatest change that took place in the Middle East. So that, that's, that's something I just wanted to add to what elegantly was said by Adam. Yeah, you know, I, I actually have this debate in some capacity every single day, and that is whether or not, Bijan, what you said um, it will, will happen, or if we're moving the goalposts so far that, you know, enemy and friend will be flip-flopped in the eyes, especially of young people in this country. Or whatever goes wrong, it'll be, well, we inherited that from the Trump administration. That's why X, Y, and Z unfolded. You know, unless, I don't know, gas prices stay so high <laughs> that, that people come to their senses. I can't see, uh, you know, things going. Uh, gas prices are going to do it. You're well, right. Yeah. Particularly in, in terms of foreign policy, I don't think anybody has a handle on anything. And being woke is just being on on the side of you know the underdog, whatever the social justice movements of, of our time are dictating. So if it's Black Lives Matter and now it's Palestinian Lives Matter, they're not even looking at the history or the nuance or getting back into the Iran nuclear deal. It just sounds like kumbaya. So why not? If you're against it, you're the terrorist. You know, it's everything is so flip flopped. Um, Adam, and in terms of, of just, you know, you're, you have such an expansive uh, uh, just resume and, and, and experience in Washington, being at the Pentagon and having, you know, being privy to so many of these conversations. And I just, I, I think I want to just hear your overarching take on what's happening in the world, especially here in this country, in terms of foreign policy, in terms of the social justice movements, in terms of just everything changing. Yeah, so you know, really, uh, you know, happy, happy to chat about that, and and just really to put a you know a further sort of iteration of the theme we're talking about. What I've what I'm seeing, Lisa, is that unfortunately there is a party in this country that is essentially you know looking to normalize our adversaries. Uh, I've I've studied this extensively, um, and and then essentially you know call that a victory. 
So giving Iran what it wants and then calling that a victory, giving China what it wants mm -hmm. and then calling that a victory, giving Russia what it wants and then calling that a victory. And it, it is really sort of a fraud on the American people. And when you look at it from a, you know, again, from a domestic political standpoint and winning elections, uh, sadly, a lot of Americans do not you know, follow foreign policy and are, are not so knowledgeable about it. I mean, of course, they have to make a living, and this is in some respects a luxury. Uh, but I see it as a cynical um, exploitation of the American people by, you know, using, you know, fancy words like Obama talked about restoring balance in the Middle East. This was one of the justifications for the Iran deal, balance. Well, what is that balance? Well, when you actually look at it, it's balancing the state of Israel because that's the balance that he was working toward. Right. But, but so this is this, you know, cynical manipulation of the American people. Uh, it strengthens our, our adversaries. And, you know, if, if the Democrats can get away with spinning this successfully as, all right, empowering our, 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 our adversaries is a victory, is a foreign policy success, is a foreign policy legacy, that is that is worthy of this nation. Then they've really pulled this the ultimate sort of Orwellian scheme off uh, on the American people, and you know this uh, this can only go on so long uh, until it crashes down. And I really do think that what we're seeing now with the the carnage in the Middle East, uh, this would not have happened if there was daylight uh, between uh, if there was no daylight between right. Israel and the United States. If we had you know kept with the Abraham Accords built on that and kept the sanctions on the Islamic Republic, the strategic momentum would be so overwhelming that you would genuinely have peace breaking out in the Middle East right now. Uh, I have friends who are Israelis and I have friends who are from Arab countries inking deals with one another right now. Right. And it is like, it's like, a, it's almost like a, you know, love at first sight. It's, it's really this, I mean, it is an overflowing, uh, uh, you know, pent up sort of, you know, need that's been suppressed for so long. And it is a momentum that is so positive, but it's being completely dashed, frankly, by this normalization of this, this, you know, the thug in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. the Islamic Republic. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, you know, it really, it really beggars belief. Uh, you know, and, you know, one of the other sort of, you know, schemes that seems to be played out is that, you know, just, you know, last month, uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan um, was, you know, talking about the purpose of the ongoing negotiations in Vienna. And he said that they, uh, they're trying to figure out which nuclear restrictions Iran will accept on its program to ensure that they can never get a nuclear weapon. This is the sort of classic, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a Yale educated lawyer. They're talking about let's get the documents just right. Let's make mm -hmm. sure, you know, we got all the provisions here. But we all know, I mean, you know, fool me once, you know, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We all know the Islamic Republic cheats. They right. cheat overwhelmingly. Mm -hmm. So much so that, you know, just uh, last month, you know, three European intelligence agencies in Germany, Sweden, and, and the Netherlands came out with separate reports, all documenting how the Islamic Republic is seeking weapons of mass destruction, seeking nuclear weapons, and how they've been cheating on you know, the Iran deal. 
And, you know, how much longer does the, does the Biden administration truly think the American people are, are so stupid that we really just don't, you know, see this? If our European allies are highlighting this, what is wrong with us? Well, are they wrong, Adam? Are they wrong? You know, do people actually see this? Are people even in tune to what's going on or what the details are? You know, and and talk about the leverage that was forfeited. You know, they came in with all of this leverage with, with regards to Iran that was built up during the Trump years, and, and they just gave it away. You know, when they're campaigning on, we will get back into the Iran nuclear deal, it's like sitting across the table from someone and they already know you're, you're going to give in. You know, so of course they're going to get the wording just right. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to hear no. They want the deal to go through. Um, the question I get asked very often, uh, Adam, is, you know, why didn't this conflict, this escalation between Hamas and uh, Israel, or why didn't Hamas begin attacking Israel during the Trump years? I mean, the embassy was moved. There was the Golan Heights issue. We had more settlements coming in without a real. Um, stop from from Bibi's government uh and you know you had the Abraham Accord so why why did Hamas wait to do it now yeah so it's very interesting Lisa uh for you know from my vantage point in the government when when Trump was was elected um we got very strong signals from our adversaries that they were afraid and that is a very good thing we want our adversaries the authoritarian, ruthless regimes to be afraid of America. And they were afraid of President Trump. They were not afraid of President Obama, and they're not afraid of Joe Biden, unfortunately. And part of this, you know, as a strategist, it, I, it beggars belief that the United States announces when we are going to, you know, leave our, uh, you know, various uh, you know, war zones. We announce this to the enemy. You know, these are just like <laughs> I mean, yep. am amateur, amateur maneuvers. But, you know, maybe this is what happens. I mean, when you don't take, you know, strategy seriously, uh, when you have amateurs, you know, running the place and, uh, you know, you have ideologues that actually, you know, see America as, as an imperialist power and that we need to be cut down to size because we're going to go in and smash things up. And, right. and you know, there is this view, uh, unfortunately, growing on the, the Democratic Party and the more, you know, you know, progressive you know, sides of the Democratic Party that America is this uh, this you know hegemonic power that needs to be cut down to size because we uh, we're so dangerous we're a dangerous nation which is even right. the, the book um, but it's uh, this is this is very dangerous uh, this this uh, worldview because you know as we all know power abhors a vacuum so if America is not powerful uh, that power goes somewhere. And the alternatives, whether it's the People's Republic of China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, et cetera, these are all very bad, uh, very bad contenders to fill that power vacuum. And so it's imperative that that America doesn't, that we do not you know, give up on our, um, our, uh, our historic and you know, much needed uh, quest for, for primacy, for a US-led liberal global order focused on uh, rule of law, democracy, freedom, human rights, all those good things that we stand for. Uh, you asked about the American people previously, Lisa. Uh, poll after poll show that the American people want America to play a leading role in the world, want America to support our democratic allies, want America not to normalize authoritarian genocidal regimes like the Islamic Republic of Iran. 
And so there's really, um, you know, my sense in the Democratic Party is that there's, uh, there are the elites, there are the coastal elites in the you know, Hollywood, Wall Street, you know, the swamp in Washington, D.C., uh, who have this outsized influence. And then there is, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, voters who are, who are not those elites who are, are manipulated and actually really get, you know, the short end of the stick uh, quite frequently. And it's a very cynical game. It's very cynical. Uh, for example, I, I'm now working more in, uh, in, in finance and uh, in economics these days. And under the, the Trump administration, you had uh, great you know, economic growth in this country uh, before, the, before the COVID pandemic. And the Americans who profited most, who saw their standard of living rising the most during the Trump administration, were Hispanics and Blacks, not whites. Uh, but this, of course, is not covered by the mainstream media because that does not fit this comfortable narrative. Right, right. And uh, so there's so the cynical game that's played to manipulate the American people. In some respects, it's the same cynical game that is being played uh, by the leadership of, uh, of Hamas, the Palestinian Authority, and the Islamic Republic of Iran to manipulate their people. Uh, so the people get... Uh, left out in the cold, the the leaders get reelected, enriched, uh, their power grows, and uh, I, you know the purpose of eyeball is to reverse that. Uh, of course, we're not focused domestically; we're focused abroad. The uh, Iranian people to give them a voice, you know, shift shift the balance of power between the regime and the people themselves. Oh, perfect! I want to just even out the show and end on this question for you, Bijan, is, is really to look at this situation um, with Iranians coming out in support of Israel as really a, a historic, it's a, it's a historic thing. It's um, not quite the level of the Abraham Accords, but I would say it's on par with getting to that direction, moving in that direction where the people of Iran say, stop, we want a different trajectory for our future, which I think is quite significant. My question to you, Bijan, is together with Eyeball and all of the uh, efforts that you're making, including this initiative with the letter, um, and I will provide a link for those who may want to sign the letter. Perhaps we can um, have our audience members who'd like to sign the letter also um, use the link that I will post on, on the, on the uh, program uh, when we post it online as well. Um, what I'd like to ask you is how are we going to use this momentum, this moment? How are we going to seize this moment to move forward uh, and, and use their, the energy of the Iranian people for good, for their future? Uh, you know, that's a very good question. I like to start where Adam ended. Uh, you know, the charter, and you spoke about the uh, Institute for Voices of Liberty, Eyeball. Uh, we exist to primarily reflect the voices of freedom-seeking people of Iran, and that's our main mission and charter. And I, uh, I know that uh, one of the things that uh, uh, Adam uh, is planning to do is to make himself available with some other friends to be able to get together with a hopefully very large number of Iranians from Iran. Uh, thankfully, these days with Clubhouse and Space and other means that is not such a difficult thing to do. But it's important for us, Adam in particular, who would be leading the work of a strategy at the Institute for Voices of Liberty to hear what they want. We want to stay loyal to our charter. Our charter says, listen to the Iranian people, 
do the political interpretation in a way that decision makers will understand why they should care about what's going on in Iran. The issue with the uh, anger you hear and you see from Iranian people in siding with Israel comes from their absolute, absolute dislike. I don't want to say hate, but I could use that word because that's truly what it is. Iranians hate the regime. They don't want this regime. Uh, a survey came out that 71% of the eligible to vote will not vote in the upcoming election. Our efforts will continue. This letter is not the end. It's the beginning. And we will continue to reflect the voices of freedom-seeking people of Iran. And as I said, Adam uh, is actually uh, uh, inviting people to come and tell Adam and uh, others at the uh, Institute for Voices of Liberty exactly what they want us to say. We continue listening. We continue to repeat what they say, not our words, their words. And we make sure we don't choose and pick what, uh, what we convey. We convey all that they say in its entirety. However, we do not reflect the voices of everybody. We have no interest in reflecting the voices of so-called reformers. There is no such thing. That's a lie. That's deceit. We only reflect the voices of people in Iran who reject the entirety and the totality of the Islamic Republic and its constitution and its military force and its affiliated institutions and people, all of that. So uh, I, I like to ask you this. People ask me, you know, Lisa's programs are in English. They ask me, can we translate it? Can we do this in Farsi? I don't know. I tell them I have no such authority to say these things. That's up to Lisa and Foreign Desk. But uh, uh, what should we tell them? Can they translate yes. this in Farsi? Yes, we And are, uh, put it yeah. out and distribute that? Can I, can I be uh, carrying your message to them and tell them uh, they can do that? Because they really yes. want to do this. They want to listen. They want to come and listen to Adam and others, uh, not just from Institute of Voices of Liberty, Institute for Voices of Liberty, but from anyone who is willing to reflect their voices. Recently, I've been encouraging them to put together events in English because if they want the world to hear what they said, just like the chanting in the summer of 09 when they were saying, Obama, Obama, are you with us or are you with them? Which in Farsi, it's a play on words because uh, uh, Obama means uh, he is with us. Uh, that the name means he's with us. But uh, unfortunately, that's not how things worked out. And history is going to record that as a tragedy. I, I believe my old boss is going to carry that with him uh, for the rest of his political life. You said no to people who reached out to say, Mr. President, you are the free, the leader of the free world. We are reaching out to you. Would you help us? And he said no. Emphatically, no. I'm not with you. That's it. He signed the JCPOA. The deal that was actually written by advocates for Islamic Republic in the United States and in Europe. And uh, that's another story for another program. I was going to say, I think we can have another program about that. And, and hopefully the two of you will agree. To that's an back. interesting history. Where was JCPOA drafted and by whom? That's an interesting and, question. And yeah, and how and, and, and are we going to sign another one that, that has similar wording um, and perhaps 
um, fewer you know, games the, for the, the United the States. Way, the way we define victory these days is we ask our enemies, how would you like to defeat me? How, and right. what's the most convenient way for it, you? It goes and then along, we call that a victory. It, it goes uh, just like with, Adam said. Right. It goes along with like everyone getting a trophy. We don't, we don't want anyone to feel <laughs> left out, right? You also you, you exactly. get to write your deal. Exactly. You get to write exactly. the nuclear deal. You get to write the nuclear deal. I thank you both for being here for a wonderful discussion. And uh, Pleasure to be with you anytime. Back. And and thank, thank you. Thank you and Adam for all you do. And all the members of Institute for Voices of Liberty who work every day to reflect the voices of freedom-seeking people of Iran. Thank you, Lisa. Thank, thank you, Adam. Thank you. Thank you. We'll have to leave it there. And for those of you at home who would like to sign up for our daily email, you can go to foreigndesknews.com slash newsletter. And to sign up for our podcast, you can go to iTunes or on YouTube, youtube.com slash Lisa Defteri to sign up there. You can get our podcast wherever you get your podcast. We are on all platforms and we will see you next time. Thank you and have a wonderful evening.